On the Empire Podcast this week, we get hunted by X-Files' Alan Frank Spotnitz and we brave an interview with Pixar's Mark Andrews and Catherine Serafian because they produced and directed Brave. That's a good pun there, you see. Plus, all the movie news, reviews and spurious movie nonsense you know and love. Well, tolerate. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast that, at around an hour each week, lasts slightly longer than your average Chelsea manager. This week, as ever, I'm joined by three randomly selected colleagues whose names have been pulled out of an Iron Man helmet and they've been forced to join me here in captivity. They are <laughs> Helen O'Hara, the 147th best thing to come out of Northern Ireland, just behind Feet of Bread and Eamon Holmes, but well ahead of Patrick Hilty and killing each other senselessly. So, where am I on that list? You decide, listeners. You decide. But hello, Helen. Hello. I'd object to the Vita Bread, personally. I think I'm, um, you know, You're not. better than Vita Bread. What is Vita Bread? You're the only person in the world who likes that. Vita Bread is amazing. A Vita Bread is a malt loaf uh, produced by a number of bakeries in Northern Ireland. You can't get it over here, which is an absolute disgrace. Um, it's And uh, it's it's the best one's by Sunblessed. So you can find a Sunblessed Vita Bread. Get that. Open a can of salmon, tin of Coke. You're laughing. Uh, other brands are available. Other brands are available, but I, I do I do like some blessed. A tin um, of Coke. A tin of Coke. A tin don't of don't coke. pour it on anything. Drink the Coke. Like that's that's my. What's Patrick? When I, when I go home, that's what I do. Patrick Kilty is a comedian. Well, that's what it says on his CV. But I would dispute that. Other comedians are available. Other comedians <laughs> are available, including Jimmy Cricket, Roy Walker, and uh, who else is from Northern Ireland? Oh, Aiden, your, Aiden Walsh. The man who had the right, left and right on his. That was boots. Jimmy Cricket. I just said, oh, "Come here, there's more." Uh, all right, fantastic. Sorted, done. Any other questions, Northern Ireland? I'd just like to say you're not on the no, list. No, good. <gasps> I'm not on the list. You're not on the list. I am the <coughs> list. All right. <laughs> Next up, it's a man who keeps his guessing at every turn. He's got a British accent, a Romanian name, an American passport, and blood forged in the fires of Mordor. <laughs> it's Nick Dissemlin. Hello. I do have an American. <laughs> I love that. Blood forged in the fires of Mordor. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I do have an American passport. It's really nice because whenever I go to America, they go, welcome home, sir, when I arrive. <laughs> and, and, then then, and then it gets awkward when I explain that <laughs> yeah. I'm entering illegally. Uh, and last but not least is another one of those crazy descendants we have running around the place here. He's a man so art house he went to Ikea the weekend and asked for the cabinet, bookshelf and folding sofa of Dr. Caligari. It's Phil Dissemlian. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Fine, thanks. <laughs> I'm written out very well. Have you seen, um, have you seen speaking tangentially of, of art house stuff, Michael Haneke's Twitter feed? I have seen are the you spoof. Following this? Michael Haneke oh, it's a spoof. Twitter account. It's a spoof. Oh, it's a spoof, yeah. Oh, no. How did you not know that? <laughs> well, I th- well, our last tweet was, near me what's... <laughs> And then in brackets, blonde, ring two, is allergic to my cat, so the tears in Funny Games 2 were real. Did he finish? <laughs> Hashtag cat farts. I thought that's got to be my Haneke, isn't it? That's, that's just the kind of pop art stunt the, the, fact, the fact that almost all of his tweets are written in text speak and almost all of them finish with lol yeah, um, is, is... He's a provocateur. Know, he, can't be, he can't be completely serious all day. I think he's to <laughs> let his hair down at so the So you, you think he genuinely does play Ten, play table tennis with his palms doors yes as someone, claimed someone asked me this week whether I, I was behind the uh, Michael Haneke spoof account I've got enough trouble maintaining my own spoof <laughs> account to, to do someone else's it wasn't me but whoever it is could it be someone in this room <gasps> could Phil be the provocateur mm. behind the provocateur's <laughs> fake Twitter account no no he's not no uh, but it's 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 quite, it's quite a funny one the spoof accounts go that's very good I guess yes. it's, it's Michael underscore Haneke if you want to follow it and please do so before the joke runs out <laughs> these things always do uh, speaking of which we're week 38 of this podcast and we're still <laughs> we're still going it's like hey. a, a kilty thon uh, okay we got a packed pod this week and we have a hard out 
as I said in the business, we need to be out here in how long, Helen? How long left? We have uh, 35 minutes. 35 minutes left. Okay, right. We're going to get straight into it now with your uh, questions and comments. You've helpfully been sending them in all week via Twitter, Facebook, and email. Phil is just blowing his nose because that's how he rolls. Uh, at, yes. at Ross T. Miller asks, what do you think is the most realistic portrayal of journalism on film? Well, I think what you've got to ask here is what is the most boring portrayal of journalism on film? Because let's face it, that's the most realistic one. Much as I'd like to claim that we're all like the people in His Girl Friday and run around being incredibly witty and wearing amazing hats. Um, it's hello. really not true. I'd love to see a transcribing scene in a film <laughs> where someone's got to, you know, break this huge story, but first they have to transcribe the 40 minute interview. <laughs> oh, and they can't do it. And then they ask a rookie to do it. And the rookie does it badly. <laughs> so they have to do it anyway. And then the editor's you know, an amazing second act. <laughs> that would be astonishing. Yeah. Just a man transcribing for 40 minutes. Yeah, Woodward and Bernstein flat planning <laughs> for 45 minutes of all the president's men. How are we going to fit this? We've got this amazing scoop, but there's no space. Yeah, we're we need to up the pagination. <laughs> Can they? It's a race against time with the production editor. Will they allow it? I doubt it. Not really. So I think I think Helen's spot on. I mean, we love our jobs, obviously, dearly, but I mean, it's not as glamorous as. The Killing Fields, or that's not. Well, we are all potentially <laughs> very good example of that. Not as, not as, sorry, not as cutting edge in that sense as, as the I Killing wish there were more clandestine meetings in car parks, although I did meet my good friend The Rock in a car oh, park. Oh, come on. Oh, it just Jesus occurred to me. Um, bringing it up again. But you know, that, that will be as great a story. Team bringing it up. Yeah. I ran through the set of Thor this morning, I think. <laughs> Tell me your clothes on. <laughs> on. Yes, and I didn't see Thor, sadly. Okay. Everybody says that when you do junkets, is it like Notting Hill? Have you been asked that? Is it like that scene in Notting Hill where they go to the Ritz, to, where he goes to the Ritz to interview? Um, um, yeah, Julia Roberts. Well, he goes, to, he goes to meet her, doesn't he? Yeah, and then he gets mistaken for a journalist. Hound. You mean yeah. you've never pretended you're from Horse and Hound? Often That's interviews true. for me get so embarrassing, halfway through I switch to Horse and Hound just to try and save face. <laughs> but no, I've never pretended right from the off. I've been from Horse and Hound. It does explain my horse-based questions. <laughs> um, yeah, no one's ever asked me that, I'll be honest. But um, other good portrayals of journalism, although given our very niche area of journalism, although I was a real journalist for, for a couple of years before I came here. Oh, well, I say a real journalist, I, you know, Local paper, so I did court reporting and council meetings and did you really? hot scoops and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I had a massive scoop once. What was it? I can't remember. Was it of ice cream? <laughs> it was something about the local cinema. Uh, probably selling sweet popcorn instead of salt. I don't know. It was, it was a wow. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff happened at Banbridge, I tell you. Um, but uh, yeah, Shattered Glass is a good portrayal of journalism. It's irritating when in a film a journalist has a really nice house. Yeah, it yeah, really or, is. Or possessions. Because that doesn't happen. <laughs> like in uh, the Wrong holiday, cops, yeah. isn't Kate Winslet a journalist? In that? Kate Winslet is a journalist, and she cottage. has this gorgeous cottage in the Cotswolds. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to assume that mum and dad are rich because ain't no way she's getting that on, you know, a normal salary. But I have to say, though, if you look at the Daily Mail, for example, and journalists who work for Lowe's uh, papers, papers like that, yeah. like for example, Liz Jones, who is constantly banging on about how much money she has and her five hundred thousand pound house in the country, and so on and so forth. So there is a breed of journalists out there, true. But proper true. journalists who work for proper newspapers and not us. Uh, smallest violin in the world is playing for us right now. Yeah. Anyway, but Phil, yes. No, I was going to say I was going to agree with um, my namesake. <laughs> Not a relation, just a namesake. Um, it's just a happy Russell, coincidence. Russell Crowe in State of Play conspicuously nicer house than John Sim in the British BBC version of State of Play, I believe. Um, I remember uh, watching that and thinking that that was actually a good portrayal of a journalist, Russell Crowe, because you actually see him doing 
the nitty gritty not transcribing but looking you, down but on but web web people he's quite scruffy and I don't know I just remember looking at that and, and thinking that's you know yeah, not well, too he's, he's scruffy and that, that helped I think <laughs> there's more to it than that but I mean yeah. generally speaking with the exception of that guy from GQ who turns up at Junkets we're all pretty scruffy uh, there's one guy who turns up to Junkets in a three piece suit who um, is this guy I don't know he's from GQ Oh, explains everything. Mm. Um, Clark Kent is a very old oh, Boucher. Uh, Clark Kent is a very uh, good example of a movie journalist. He gets a job done. Yep. Uh, works with people who are absolutely inept, but you know that's, that's old ground. We've we've gone over this before. Mm. How does no one know he's on? He's oh, it's ridiculous. Anyway, okay. So that was a question from Rusty Miller, which we, uh, once again we've conspired not to answer. Uh, okay, at Janitor Tiernan uh, asks, on average, how many films do you watch a week? How many first times, repeat viewings, Avengers, etc.? <laughs> well, obviously, Avengers two or three times a week. Uh, two or um, three times a day for well, me. Well, yeah, okay, obviously. yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, oh, I don't know, it depends on the week. Some weeks are, are much, much busier than others. There'll be five or six new screenings. Some weeks there'll be one or two, you know, it kind of varies. We're coming into a bit of a a bit of a busy period of the year right now. I'm getting yep. a bit paranoid about booking in anything before Christmas in case that's the day that they choose to show The Hobbit. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of telling, you know, I'm getting in touch with my friends going, yes, I'd love to come to your party unless they screen The Hobbit that evening, in which case I won't be there. Sorry. <laughs> Basically. I've gone a bit John Doe this year. I've made a list of every film that I've seen. Wow. Is that weird? No. It's a bit weird. I started I, just, I started doing that inspired by you and then I stopped. Because it was weird. I just started losing interest, really. Yeah. But anyway, I can tell you categorically, I've seen six films in the last week. Very but well two done. of them were Cobra and Tango and Cash, <laughs> so they count as two each. One of the films I watched this week was Christmas in Connecticut, which is Arnie's sole directorial effort. And having now seen it, I understand. I've watched a couple of films this week, but it varies. When you're at a film fest, for example, you can watch four or five films a day, mm. which can be uh, which can be hectic. Phil, how many do you watch? 4.3. 4.3. On average. <laughs> is that one part of the Three Colours trilogy? Do you make sure... Yeah. That's the Three Colours trilogy 1.3 times. <laughs> do you make sure that you hit that, that point three every day so if you're like to. a third of the way through I don't know. Stop. I think you're right. It varies. Some weeks you watch loads and loads. Um, others not so many that's probably the least interesting sentence you'll hear on this podcast <laughs> no we've heard a few <laughs> we've heard a few doozies already um, okay so uh, John Mooney asks and this is via Facebook Facebook question Ooh. Ooh. Uh, what was the first ever film you took a date to see was it as bad as mine and this is John Mooney's not mine uh, blame <laughs> Blame it on the bellboy. Oh, I haven't oh. seen this film. Is that a bad date movie? Well, I think if if you stay together after that, then you know you know it's true love, don't you? If nobody blames the other person, yes. After seeing that, first one I remember uh, taking a girl to is the Marlon Brando De Niro Norton film, The Score. Oh, and I can't remember anything about either the date or the film. So I think we probably <laughs> both fell asleep quite quickly. It's quite what were you cut. doing? It's quite an unmemorable film. <laughs> Just watching the film, Chris. Okay. What, what else would we have been doing? <laughs> well, Nick, if you don't know it's by now. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I can't remember what happens in that film, but they, should I watch they, it again? They, Is it any good? No, they oh. pull a score. Mm. Phil? I think it was Terminator 2. Oh, good I'm call. not sure I was officially a date I mean I think it was but I wasn't she it was in America and, and it was a girl called Sue Ellen she was very nice I didn't realise I wasn't really aware of sort of romantic protocol back in those days <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on but I love I mean obviously the film was ridiculously amazing so that was exciting and then a few years later I went on a date to see um, Terminator Last Action Hero <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> with some, with another girl, so um, I'm looking forward to seeing the last stand with a girl. With a girl, potentially. <laughs> Sue Ellen was her surname Ewing. No, unfortunately, it wasn't. Okay. Just had to check. Did yeah. you spend more time watching the film 
letting on your date yes yeah film nerds Helen um, I uh, went to see Fight Club I don't remember there may have been other ones but I remember going to see Fight Club with a boy in university and he didn't like it very much I mean I, it was actually my second time seeing it because I thought it was awesome and I should have known just then I mean what was the point in going on yeah get rid of him seriously I did <laughs> uh, my first uh, date with a, with, with a lady at a film uh, not that we're dates with men at films you know, I just okay. want to make that clear Scottish that um, rumour uh, was uh, Dumb and Dumber ah. uh, yeah start the way you mean to go on start the way you mean to go on uh, I was laughing like a drain she didn't and then soon after I became dumped and dumped her so um, <laughs> no no I was dumped She, I didn't dump her and then I was in floods of tears and a broken man for, for quite some time after that but what can you do what can you do that's heartbreaking Chris yeah. <laughs> So that brings us neatly on to this week's competition, uh, which is to stand a chance of winning one of five copies of Annie, the musical Annie on Blu-ray. Just tell us when the sun will come out. Is it A, five past three, B, tomorrow, or C, never? This is Britain after all. Now, some would say all of those answers could be right. So is it... Just to give people We're looking a clue. for B. We're looking for B. And it's answer B tomorrow. I, I wasn't okay. actually going to be that specific. I was just going to. I'm just trying to help people. Right, yeah. But you're talking honestly, about the music. If I get A or C in my inbox, I'm banning those people from listening to the podcast ever again. It's a hard not That seems harsh. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> to stand a chance and to also have your question read out, depending on the quality of the question, of course, send your entry along with your name and address. <laughs> The Disemblings just did a fist bump. They were so happy with that. Uh, to podcast at empireonline.com. And you can also get in touch via Twitter, where we're Empire Magazine, at Empire Magazine. The hashtag is Empire Podcast. Or Facebook, where we're Empire Magazine. Alternatively, you can find a job at the nearest branch of Nando's that's closest to the Empire office and will turn up eventually. Oh, God. Uh, okay, coming up, we have our very first interview of the pod with some very brave souls. Brave, brave souls. Brave was both a departure and a welcome return to form for Pixar earlier this summer, their first period film and their first film with a female lead, the warm and tender story of a Scottish princess and a curse that's inadvertently unleashed upon her mother, saw a long-time Pixar fet Mark Andrews step up to the director's chair at the animation giant. He came to London recently to promote the Blu-ray release along with producer Catherine Serafian and they talked to Helen and Ali Plum about all manner of bonny stuff, lassie. Enjoy. Okay, well, welcome to a special edition of the Empire Podcast uh, for the DVD and Blu-ray release of Brave. Um, we have with us director Mark Andrews and producer Catherine Serafian. Hello. Hi. Hello. How do you do? We are do fine. Great, thanks for having us. <laughs> we are do fine indeed. We are do fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the film's been a, a big success. Congratulations. Um, how, how, how are you feeling now? Is the, is the kind of pressure off? Is this the, the kind of victory lap in a way, you know, that you're kind of just enjoying it now? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It is the victory lap because we're done. I... This is going to sound weird, and, and it is weird, so I don't care. Uh, I'm a bear fan. I really like bears. I, I like oh, movies with bears bear in. Excellent. I've got t-shirts with bears on, but I wanted to talk to people about Brave when I saw it when it came out, but I knew I couldn't talk about the bear. Right. Is it a liberation Thank you. now? That decision. Yes, yes, yes it can. is. Well, even in the trailer, you know, just to kind of keep that at bay because uh, I mean movies when we release them are a gift and we understand the the promotion we want to get butts in the seats you know pardon <laughs> the phrase but we want people to see it but we also want when they get there 
so that they can have that surprise experience and, and have an encounter where they go, I never imagined it was going to go there. So now we can talk about it. There's no spoilers. You all should have seen it already. <laughs> <laughs> no, no intimidation there. I mean, the, the, the thing, the, that thing was great, actually. It was nice going into a film this year and not knowing what was going to happen in the mm. second act because, quite frankly, every other one we did, pretty much. Um, but it was also good to see it be a mother-daughter story because I was trying to think at the time of another positive mother-daughter story in cinema and there are practically none. I mean, there's ones where the mother's a sort of crazy killer or something, you know, Carrie and things like that. Right. Where she's a bit weird. But very, very, very few about that relationship. It was deliberate, yeah. you know, we wanted to actually keep the family intact because there's a wonderful tradition of, of fairy tales, folk tales, of princess tales that, you know, where there's one or both parents have been killed off or the, you know, the, the princess or the daughter has plenty of reason to be miserable because of the step step parent or something. But this is an intact family and really Meredith's problems are her own and she creates them and she may have disagreements with her family, but she's got to resolve stuff herself. It's really not someone else's fault that she's frustrated. Yeah. You know, she has to grow and learn. And, and that was really deliberate choice, you know, on the part of our filmmakers to to, to, to do this attack in a different way and, and tell the story in a new way and create a new kind of hero. Um, what about the cast then? Because, um, I mean, th- I think key to that really was Emma Thompson, in a way, as much as Kelly McDonald. Well, yeah, everybody. I mean, I think the casting has just been a, a perfect and... You know, we went after, you know, um, these these actors because of what we knew they could bring to the table and crossed our fingers and we got everybody. So we've just been incredibly, incredibly fortunate because they did just they didn't just bring who they are. They were really I consider them collaborators on the project. I, I, I left it wide open. And when we were recording them that, yeah, that's what the words are on the on the page there, Emma and Billy and Kelly. But whatever else you got coming into that now that you know what we're kind of getting at is there some other Scottish turns of phrase or you understand the characters there another way that we could come at this and 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 they really uh, gave their all and came up with some great material. It's interesting that you mentioned Emma Thompson actually because she um, she was one where we we wanted her specifically for her ability to be uh, you know very stately and proper and queenly but very warm as a mother and then um, almost just as important actually uh, humorous because it's actually there's a lot of fun and and funniness in Eleanor and you can see we try to harken back to you know when when she was a teenager. Maybe she wasn't so different from Merida, really. Um, and uh, so she was she was crucial to getting all those things. Is that that's some, Emma Thompson has all those parts of her in spades. She's so, so funny. How do you go about directing, uh, Billy? I mean, is that possible? Do you, do you just kind of what, pull the string and let him go? Yeah, well, mostly, mostly. I mean, he takes some direction really well. And, and again, it was, it was collaborative. So Billy would look at the line, and, and he wants that feedback, you know, too. So Because he'll do his thing, and he'll go... That's great. We got that in the can. Let's try something completely different. Go totally left field with this, you know, and he'll do that. Put that in the can and, you know, let's ad lib a little bit. And he'd turn the page over and just go crazy. You know, I'm all, that's in the can. Now let's do this. You're totally proud, Dad. And that's in the can. But it was really fun. The hardest thing about directing Billy is once we take breaks, the breaks are incredibly long 
because he's just regaling us with all these fantastic stories. We just don't want to stop. And Catherine's all, ha, 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 let's get back to work, you know? <laughs> yeah, and there mean, we are. The so. director's job was to, to, you know, keep it funny and heartfelt. And my job as producer was to make sure I padded every session by about two hours <laughs> to allow time for all the storytelling and all the goofing off and everything that would happen because, you know, it, it was, he's ridiculously funny, of course, and we learned all kinds of new vocabulary words. Yes. Um, and uh, <laughs> some of which would not fit into the story. There was that script. one story where we had we had <laughs> Billy, we had to have him come in and read one line. So we we, we scheduled a session and this, uh, we were, you know, in American, Billy was here. He came into the studios right in Soho and he did his one line and stayed for three hours just hobnobbing with the guys. He's just very social and gregarious and just wants to hang out and have fun, you know? And that's that was one of the sad things is we never could when we recorded in 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 New York we flew in two days and we had to get right back out but we want he wanted to just hang out that's yeah. that's Billy so I believe you you originally did the scratch voice for Fergus yourself I did. initially before I did and I was fired and they got Billy <laughs> which I think is a good thing because he's amazing I, I, I fake my Scottish accent it just comes out of Billy I was going to ask how, how your Scottish accent was well, it's alright it's yeah. fine I like bears King Fergus I ride my horse See, it's to un- the park. Un- uncanny, right? See, just- All right, me and Billy cut from the same cloth. We are. Hey. And that was good. Quite impressive. <laughs> yeah. They Scots outside out of here rolling their eyes. Yeah, they're, like, oh, they're, no. they're going, oh, no. My kids have me say, uh, talk Scottish when we're at the market or at a store. They go, Dad, just go into your brogue for the rest of the day. I'm all, all right. Yeah, kids, get me some milk, some biscuits. Yeah. It's aggressive. It's yeah. aggressive oh, accent. It is, it is, yeah. it's, he doesn't do it lightly. <laughs> no. Really, everything works. It doesn't have the charm or the sing-song, yeah. you know. I write it in Scottish phonetically so the people at home reading it can get it. But when they got it, they're all, why is this written so funny? I'm all, <laughs> you know, just to die. Just, if you don't like it, change it, you know. And they would come up with great Scottish phrases. I mean, Kelly came up with, um, Jinx Crivens helped my bulb. She just blurted that one out. And we just, I ruined the take because I just laughed in the session. I'm just like, <laughs> Remember Billy also? Yeah. Freeze your hairdies off. Yeah, yeah, fr- yeah, that was Craig. Was that Craig? That was Craig Ferguson. Ferguson. I'll freeze my hairdies off. We're all, what's a hairdie? He's all, it's your shanks, it's your legs, it's your buttocks. We're using it. It's great. We're using it. That's no. great. Well, yeah, you don't want to play to the lowest common denominator. We want to educate. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of words in there um, in the script and stuff that people would go, what the heck is that? I remember Andrew Stanton saying, leave it. You get the idea. It's kind of like Shakespeare in that way where you get the paraphrasing of what it is you know from the from the the tone or the or the dialect or how the word sounds whether you know what a herdy is or not you know it's cold it does seem like i'm having read about pixar history you know it basically seems like every film at some point there's been like a crunch moment yes, and it's so had that- to go back to you know back to basics and figure it out yeah the oh, creative yeah. crisis every film goes you know it could be going great and then all of a sudden you realize you're back on you know uh, a, a bulletin board full of index cards of like hmm wait you know why Scotland what's the character's motivation why yeah why rats? Scotland why rats why you know, rats every film gets to that moment of like huh why toys like yeah. ah you know and you tear your hair out and then you get yourself back to like why are we telling this story what is the core relationship and you, if you don't keep coming back to that center you know that core you know you're not, you're not going to make a great movie because it doesn't really matter where it's set so much as you know the, that heart connection of the characters um, uh, Pete Doctor though when he was here once after Up I think uh, talked about the eye of Sauron falling on him you know they, they, <laughs> they now finished oh, yeah. up so what were they going to do next and he said the eye of Sauron isn't quite on us yet but it's turning in our direction 
yes. So have you got a bit of that, you know, sense? Of, you know, have you got to start thinking about what to do next yet? Oh yeah, I've, the the Sauron's looking somewhere else, and I'm already I've got his ring, and I'm already at Mount Doom. I'm I'm ready to throw it in. So he's he's late because I'm impatient. So I'm already moving on <laughs> yeah, my next thing. I'm, I'm to, rolling. He's able to outsmart Sauron like nobody I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you see? This is a long shot, but did you see? Uh, this was uh, photographed in Tesco, but there was a knockoff of Brave called Braver. And it was this terrible thing where it's like a, it was just a girl in a forest and it said braver. Yes. You've seen that. Well, yes. I saw one that was called uh, yes. Somebody Else the Brave, like that, that uh, straight to video. There's like Kylie or Kylie, Kay- the, Kaylee Kaylee the Brave. I don't know of a braver. That was a straight was to video <laughs> movie yeah. that somebody made like overnight. And yeah. perfectly. Back of a crisp packet. Yeah. 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 Piece yeah. of paper. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you feel that? Is that it's, I find it, I would have imagine it being quite flattering that you're doing something so big that people are going quick um, uh, brave braver uh, yeah we need something bravest uh, bravissimo uh, whatever yeah, yeah you want to believe imitation is the sincerest form of flattery <laughs> but producerially the first thing I think of is legal somebody get legal in here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you don't see people run around putting Mickey Mouse ears on everything and, and trying to fool the, <laughs> the, the public into buying it you know the Disney would come down on like a ton of bricks. So, speaking of Disney, there's obviously been some very, very big news in the last week. Um, how has it been received uh, at Pixar? There were a lot of drawings that went around that were very funny, of like Darth <laughs> Vader bowing before Mickey Mouse and going, "Who's the master now?" You know. So, we we love it. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's just a, a wild time. First Marvel, um, well, first Pixar, and then Marvel, and then and now you know ILM is it's it's an amazing time. But I, uh, you know, I think it's good. Those are three fantastic universes and three great, you know, uh, studios that have great potential to put out entertainment for, you know, people worldwide. That's I'm excited to have them yeah. in the family. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. we, we, we didn't we as human beings barely existed before we saw Star Wars. You know, we our lives began, you know, when we saw Star Wars. And Pixar and, began with George. Pixar yeah. began with George. It, it all kind of comes full circle like, wow, this kind of makes a weird sort of sense. And then, you know, then we're sort of raising our hands like, I'd like to play Princess Leia. And a sequel, yes, you know. Yes, can I be Bobo Fett, please? Exactly. Can We're I crawl out of the Sarlacc pit? We please? want to wedge our way into this stuff any way we can. <laughs> so, 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 just you know, for the record, if they call you, I mean, some of your colleagues now have gone to live action. If they call you saying, "Hey, we want you for Star Wars Episode Seven, you'll take the call. Done. <laughs> Done. I could do more than one film at once. It's fine. Yep. He can do it's fine. seven, eight, nine, and ten I mean, yeah. all, all, all at once and still get my Pixar animated film out. Yes. While, while writing a comic book. While, writing, while writing a comic book or, or, or coming up with a TV series. And I can do it children. all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't wait for the commentary uh, more than anything else. Yeah, it's going to be a good director. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much to Mark Andrews and Catherine Saravian. And Brave is out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray on the... 26th of November. Excellent. Nailed thank it. you so much. Thank you. I have to say, I think there are very few places I'd rather work, other, of course, than the Empire Towers of with our wonderful toilets, uh, <laughs> than Pixar. Heck yes. I mean, they've got, they have everything. They have um, swimming pool. They have, uh, when I went, the, the first time I went there, the volleyball court was, was closed down because they were turning it into a beach volleyball court. It's that kind of a place. And yet they somehow they, they still managed to make these amazing well, movies. Well, I mean, what, they, what, they, what Mark Andrews and Catherine Serafian said when they were in was, well, we, we never have time to actually do it because they're always working too hard on their films. Oh. But the point is that the options are there. There's a breakfast bar, a cereal bar in the lobby. You know, they've got all of these fabulous Pixar University classes. It's amazing. 
Look, you've been as well, haven't you? Yeah, when I went, you could actually buy ratatouille in the canteen. Very clever. Really cool. yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a good place. Was it made by a rat pulling a man's head? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> See, this is why we're not investigative journalists. Very possible. <laughs> See, Woodward and Bernstein would have dug into that story. They'd be in the car park right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd be meeting Deep Rat or whatever it is. <laughs> okay. So on, on to the movie news of the week, such as it is. Helen, what have you got for us? Well, I have my regular Star Wars update. Okay. Um, uh, it is that time again. Brad Bird has officially ruled himself out. He is making 1952, which is what we said. But, you know, the fans online were still hopeful that he was lying or that it was a cover story. I was hopeful. Was I want actually, to episode seven. Well, maybe next one. Yeah. Because you know. one and nine and five and two add up to seventeen. Right. right. One and seven added together is eight, which is just one more <gasps> than seven. So he could do the next one. He could do the next one. Well, it's about the next one that I have specific word, in fact. What song? My, my eyes have just popped out in I cartoon know. fashion. Look how beautifully that tied up. Um, basically, some writers have been hired for the next two Star Wars film. So even though we haven't got episode seven yet, even though that's three years away, they've apparently reportedly, we haven't had 100% official confirmation yet, but it's looking likely that Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. it will be in charge of Star Wars episode eight mm-hmm. and Simon Kinberg for Star Wars episode nine. Oh, how do we feel about this? I'm a bit concerned it might mean there'll be shit weasels in episode eight, <laughs> seeing as his last <laughs> film was Dreamcatcher. Yeah. Um, we never talk about Dreamcatcher. We Catcher. don't talk about Dreamcatcher. Please let's uh, No, it's exciting, isn't it? It's the guy who wrote so. Raids of the Lost Ark. Exactly. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. That's got to be good. Back in the Starfold. Yes. Good. Yeah. I hope I hope it's a sort of Grand Canyon-esque sort of just relationship drama. <laughs> just focusing on a number of people who just happen to live in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I'd love to see Steve Martin in the <laughs> film. Yeah. Or Kevin Klein as, you know, as Darth Reflective. Yeah. That'd be amazing. I just watched The Big Chill uh, the other week mm-hmm. and I loved Ooh. it. So, yeah. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the, he's got some he's game. He's got the goods. He's yeah. got game. Let's just never speak about Dreamcatchers again. And Simon Kinberg, you know, he's been doing good work on the Sherlock Holmes movies. Uh, he did, he's done the new X Men movie. So you know, he's got some scope there and some scale. And you yeah. know, we'll see how uh, Days of Future Past turns out. But that's promising, I think. Mark yeah. Miller was tweeting very positive stuff about him. Yeah, this week. So yeah, yeah, he's working on Days of Future Past at the moment with Brian Singer. Phil, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's exciting. I concur entirely with 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 what these guys say. Do you um, concur? I do. I concur. So we think a director is going to be announced soon for episode seven. Well, the word last week was that they were down to two. That was coming from Frank Marshall, who apparently mentioned it to EW. That they were down to two candidates. We just don't know who they so are yet. Colin Trevorrow of- has ruled himself out as well. He says he's working on another beloved fan property. So let that speculation commence. Mm-hmm. I'm ruling myself out right now. Chris, are you sure? No. I'm going to keep my options open. All right. We'll, we'll put you on the maybe. But then. I'm not available on the fourth. Hang on. Chris sounds like Sif. Mm. Oh. <gasps> Clues are there. Absolutely. Episode Chris. It doesn't sound like seven. Okay. Uh, Phil, what have you got? The boss. Everyone loves Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And I bring exciting news for everyone in that case. <laughs> if you saw... If you t- I'm not going to be any option to not be interested in this news. Okay. Prepare yourself. If you remember Life in a Day, a couple of years ago, Kevin McDonald's documentary, which was basically the ultimate crowdsourced film documentary. Yeah. Ridley Scott's production company, RSA Films, behind this. Everyone was around the world submitting snippets of their day and it was all kind of montaged together into a documentary that kind of captured the universal experience of life this is that but with Bruce Springsteen so I spoke to Bailey Walsh who's the director of Springsteen and I and they are looking for snippets no longer than five minutes of personal Bruce Springsteen stories so not just people that have seen him doing one of his amazing gigs and have you know camera phone footage but personal stuff visual 
things that ways that he's sort of impacted his life and he named an example of a guy that was dumb since since birth 16 years old driving along in the back of his parents car they put Bruce Springsteen on and he started singing along so you don't have to be quite as extraordinary as that or miraculous as that but anything that's very personal from anywhere around the world and they're asking it to be uploaded to a website um, springsteenandi.com mm-hmm. and uh, that's got to be uploaded by the 29th of November and no more than five minutes long and it can be any format you like um, from still photographs to uh, camera phone footage to proper digital photography. Cool. So does that mean uh, are there set visits available? You're in. Bagsy. Yeah. Yes. No. Well, not not unless you can go and see him in America between now and next Friday and record it on IMAX and um, then upload it. I, I, I'm pretty sure I have an IMAX camera down the back of the sofa. I can probably... <laughs> you do have a huge sofa. I do so have a very possible. big sofa. <laughs> and Christopher Nolan was on it last week. No, that's that weird. I was just thinking, like, how, could, how could an IMAX camera end up down the back of Helen's sofa? I thought it would have fallen out of might have fallen out of his pocket. Okay, all right. Okay, that's, as long as we're not implying anything, that's good. Uh, if, what uh, happens on sofas, Chris? What happens on sofas stays on sofas, Nick. We, we all know that. <laughs> uh, so that's good news about Bruce Springsteen. We're all, we're all happy here. I think so, yeah. It's, a, it's, very, it's an innovative idea, and uh, it's, I think it could be, if you love Bruce Springsteen, it's going to be fantastic. It's Indeed, boss, boss news. <laughs> it is boss news. Um, Nick, hi. Yeah, I, I met a man in a car park earlier this morning. <laughs> That's not coming out how it was meant to sound out. Was it Chris um, Nolan trying to sell you an IMAX camera? <laughs> was, uh, uh, yeah, and he, this guy told me that uh, Chevy Chase has just quit Community <gasps> in shock news, which isn't really all that it's shocking not very at all. Shocking, right. I read it on Twitter, but you actually met a man in the car park. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know why I was down there. I don't even have a car. Um, but basically, um, yeah, he's he's walked off. This has been this has been building up to this for a while now. Um, he did, and Chevy Chase did an interview with the Huffington Post a couple of months ago, which is an astonishing read. Um, which in which he said, and I quote, talking about Community, the hours are hideous, and it's still a sitcom on TV, which is probably the lowest form of TV. The only reason I'm sticking around is because of the kids, the cast who are good it's not like I'm working with the great innovators of all time which is quite a harsh thing to say about a show that you're currently working on and it's also probably the sharpest and and best written sitcom on American TV at the moment and it's clearly he's never seen Made in Chelsea he thinks (laughs) that's the lowest form of TV yeah so he's never appreciated the show he's not really done a great job of of disguising his contempt for it so yeah he's off he's walked off and they're still shooting the series apparently they've uh, already shot the season 4 finale which he's in Mm. But there's still two or three episodes to go, which he's not going to be in. So it's interesting. They made him as the show progressed into less of a sort of lovable eccentric and more of a just out and out sociopath. And I wonder yeah. if that maybe reflected the the fact that there was a mutual yeah. uh, disdain. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there was some mutual bad feeling. I know there was between him and uh, Dan Harmon, uh, who the showrunner who's now left. But I imagine that even he leaving has has, has not kind of repaired the situation yeah this is a real shame I think because I think here we have a classic case of a man who can't see the wood for the trees and um, he's basically involved and I think maybe his ego got in the way this is a man who's throughout his career been you know a big comedy star and suddenly he's playing fourth or fifth banana on a sitcom a brilliantly written sitcom but whether he just wasn't able to see it or didn't let himself see how good the show was or Mm. how good the people around him were uh, it's a big shame but for me the Pierce character has become Redundant, yeah. largely redundant, reduced to B and C plot lines over the last uh, last season or so, yeah. and not terribly funny. And it's it's a shame because Nick, you've actually interviewed Jeffy, haven't you? I have. I met him um, in LA last year. 
yeah, last year uh, for our Free Amigos reunion. And um, the first thing you realise when you meet Chevy Chase is this is not a man who makes any pretense to... He is just completely... Whatever he's thinking, he'll say it. And he doesn't really give a shit. And he was walking around with his pants, <laughs> with his trousers off, uh, for quite a good deal of it. And um, he didn't seem to be that excited about Free Amigos, to be honest. It was kind of so... And he, obviously this is the guy who walked off Saturday Night Live, so you got to wonder which of his projects he's actually proud of. Yeah, I mean... I, Maybe I got, he's just endlessly self-critical, I don't know, but <coughs> it does seem... It seems a shame that he can't appreciate his work as much as we all do, really. Yeah. I just wonder sometimes how... whether people are actually good judges of scripts. Hmm. This is a man who's made some great, great comedy films. I mean, you know, I love the National Lampoon vacation movies, Christmas Vacation especially. He's made Fletch, uh, Caddyshack, movies like that. But this is also the man who's made Funny Farm and and, and some pretty, pretty t- terrible, dreadful movies. And you, you, you do wonder at a certain level, can comedians actually, certain comedians, judge comedy in a script? I think that's true of everybody, not just comedians. True. But, um, yeah. But yeah, sometimes you've got to wonder what it is. I mean, it, it may be, you know, in his defence, you know, sometimes people who you can't tell in advance whether a movie's going to be amazing or not on paper always yeah. some th- some things you know become amazing through direction through the way it comes together with the alchemy some things frankly start yeah. off with a great script which just doesn't translate to the screen so I interviewed Steve Martin and he was adamant that the man with two brains isn't funny oh, and I was so just wrong. going but it is <laughs> eventually he just went okay if you say so will the great is funny it's funny it's probably his best film frankly I, yeah yeah, but, possibly. Uh, okay, all right. So uh, coming up after this brief and thankfully free jingle, we talked to one of the key creative forces behind The X-Files and the creator of current BBC hit show, Hunted, Mr. Frank Spotnitz. Frank Spotnitz is along with the likes of Vince Gilligan, Glenn Morgan, James Wong, and of course, Chris Carter, one of the men who shaped the X-Files. Since that show ended, he's kept himself busy and is currently the series creator of the BBC's compelling spy drama, Hunted, starring Melissa George, which is out on DVD and Blu-ray on Monday. That's the 26th. Uh, Frank popped in recently to talk to the Brothers Dissemblian about Hunted and found himself facing more X-Files questions than he could shake a cigarette-smoking man at. Enjoy. So we're delighted to be joined by Frank Spotnitz on the Empire Podcast. Frank, welcome. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much for taking the time to come in. Pleasure to um, Primarily to talk to us about your new TV show, Hunted. We gather that was originally known as going to be known as Morton, because it's been something that sort of germinated over a period of time. Can you talk to us about how that change came about and um, the process of developing the show from that point of view? Well, it, it really never was my intention to call it Morton. We couldn't agree on a title. And so uh, Jane Featherstone, who's one of the heads of Kudos, my producing partner, said, well, let's just call it Morton as a working title because Morton is a clue. But then it stuck, as titles tend to, and then nobody could agree on what the title should be. And it actually ended up being years of trying to agree on a title. And I can't tell you how many dozens of titles we went through before really? Hunted finally became the title. Do you just have meetings dedicated to try and thrash out a title? For it? Uh, you know, endless email chains, okay. very, very annoying email chains. And toward the end, I was just like, you know, I don't care what you call it. Just just pick a name. <laughs> I'm just done with this. On the subject of names, I'm curious. The agency is, in this is called Byzantium. Yes. Which is a great word. Yes, it is. <laughs> so how many did you have to come up with a list of cool, cool sounding words? I went through dozens of those as well. And, but that was a different problem. There are so many private security firms, I literally couldn't find one 
a, a name that wasn't a real firm somewhere in the world. Really? Um, yeah. Actually, Mobius was originally going to be the name of the firm, and that didn't clear. And it, it, that was also weeks and weeks of looking for a name. And finally, Byzantium, which to me thematically was perfect. Now, some people might say, well, why would you call yourself Byzantium if you were a security firm? But um, but I could, I could make a case for that, and uh, that, that one finally stuck. Well, on that subject, uh, it's a complex TV show, yes. as was The X-Files. How difficult is it to keep track of what the hell's happening? Oh. <laughs> well, hopefully it's harder for me than it is for the viewer. <laughs> it is a demanding show. I mean, it, 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 you have to be focused on it or you're, you're going to miss something. Although I think, and this is just, you know, what do I know? I, I wrote it. I'm not watching it like you would. But I, I think it's okay if you get a little lost toward the end because then it all starts to come together. I mean, some of my favorite like Chinatown, I think I saw that seven times before I understood what the hell had happened. Or Big Sleep actually doesn't make any sense. Um, but but this, everything does actually make sense if you watch it carefully enough. Um, for me, it was hard because everybody's lying in the show. <laughs> and so there aren't two characters who have the same understanding of what's going on. And the nature of the lies changes several times per episode. So plotting that as we were writing it was really tricky and gave us some headaches but we did put up in the writer's room a chart of actually the entire plot so we could make sure everything was um, making sense as we went forward with the x-files where did you did you always have an idea of where how it would conclude or i mean how on earth do you kind of develop that storyline not knowing where it would finish well we honestly we didn't understand in the beginning at least I didn't, what we were doing. I mean, I started at the beginning of season two and I kind of fell into the mythology role because my first story idea that Chris liked anyway, Chris Carter, the creator of the show, um, was about uh, a young woman coming back and telling Mulder that she was his sister. And how would he know it wasn't? How could he prove it wasn't? And, and that he loved that idea and that became my first episode and suddenly I became the mythology guy. But, But... His intention, Chris Carter's, was that Mulder would find his sister and the show would be over in five years. And what happened was, you know, by season four, it was like, well, this show's not ending. It's getting bigger every year. There's no way it's ending. And by the way, we want you to do a movie between seasons five and six. And it's got to be big and give us a lot of answers. And the show has to continue. Mm. And you've got to write it before you've written season five. And so it just became this unbelievably complicated jigsaw puzzle that we had to design and then put together. Um, and... I think we did about a, as good a job as you could under those circumstances. It became very, very difficult, though, when David left the show. Because as proud as I am of those last two years, I am very proud of them. And I thought Robert Patrick and Annabeth Gish were terrific. It's hard to make it feel novelistic and like it's this organic whole with a planned beginning, middle, and end when Mulder leaves. You know, And I, and I think we did the best you could, but, um, but, but that, that was a wrench in, in the works for sure. Didn't you also have to write around Gillian's pregnancy? Well, that's really what started the mythology of the show, I think. I mean, there were mythology episodes. Deep Throat you know, was, was the first one, you know, the, one of the first three episodes of the, of the series in season one before I got there. But Gillian getting pregnant uh, forced Chris and the other writers to account for her absence. So they said, oh, well, we know she'll get abducted by aliens. <laughs> and I don't think they realized, well, you can't just have her get abducted and not have that reverberate through the rest of the series. And But that's what happened. And, and I think that's what led to all the stuff that I ended up spending the next eight years working on. So where did, where did the oil and the bees come from, all that stuff? Was that from you? Uh, the bees were, were always Chris. Um, 
and, I, and I'm reluctant to say the, the oil was, was my idea because it, maybe the initial idea was mine, but so much of it was, you know, with Chris and, and the other writers. That, you know, it's it's always a group effort in American television. You're always in that writer's room and working on things and taking the best ideas from everybody. So it's it's always dangerous to say that's mine because so many people have a hand in it. Mm. Okay. And on the subject of X-Files, obviously, December the 22nd, 2012, is a pretty big date. Yes, coming up. In that world. And we're almost there. Yes. Is that weird to almost be at the date of alien colonization? And I can tell you what's going to happen on that date, but I'm not going to. Where are you going to be? I'll I'll be in New Jersey, actually. (laughs) I'm Um, hoping you guys have some kind of promo stunt. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, we'd, I'd hoped that there would be a final movie before that date, but that's not going to happen. But Chris and I have not given up hope on uh, on making that final chapter, and um, and it can still be done, even though we're past that date. So hopefully, it will. Do you have story ideas in place already? Do you have a treatment? Oh yeah, I've had them for years, and and um, and we've talked about it for years, and it's just been getting the studio on board, and that's been really. Uh, frustrating, honestly, because the the second film, which was a small film, which is what they wanted, and they didn't want it to be aliens. And I, and I think, you know, looking back on it, that was not the right strategy. And it convinced them, well, there is no audience. And, and my argument is, there's not. It's just not for that type of X Files movie. Mm. And I think, especially the movie going audience, they don't expect that from the X Files. My feeling was they were like, where are the aliens? Yeah. And uh, and I just think. They should make it. <laughs> it's funny because we were talking about it earlier, and it, it just feels the hoary old idea of a post nine eleven world. But it really does feel like a, a show that lives in that world. Yes, that it foreshadows so many of the things that we see in contemporary sci fi's and thrillers like Homeland, Battlestar Galactica, that use sci fi to make a comment on kind of yeah the the national security kind of state. Yeah, and X Files seemed almost ten years ahead of that in a weird way. Yeah, and, and I think actually the nine eleven is part of what. Uh, killed the show, killed the TV series anyway, um, because the show's ratings were good. Actually, they went up um, season eight after uh, after David left, and then nine eleven happened, and suddenly there was a huge section of the audience that just didn't watch anymore. And I, I think the the mood in America, at least at that point, was we don't want to watch shows that are questioning our government, that are making us feel unsafe, and um, it just was suddenly suddenly the mood had changed, and it, and I think now enough time has passed that maybe um, maybe the time is right again. So you you took on the FBI with that, and now it's by agencies. How much research do you do, or is this just... Oh, oh a lot, had? a yeah. lot. And, and, and the, I mean, there's so many of them, and they're very happy to talk, and they're, they're really um, fascinating people. And uh, there's a lot of them here in the UK, and I went to their offices and, and talked to a lot of them, and they were very open about, not about the names of their clients or specifics, but about situations they encounter... You know, and the thing that's interesting to me is um, how powerful these firms are, and how nobody knows they're out there. <laughs> so you know, you have reason to be paranoid because they really are influencing things, and we just don't don't know it. How did you find them? <laughs> do you, is it just a question of using Google? Or oh, it's really know? easy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You could you could go online in ten seconds. You'd find them all. And you go to their website, and it's, their websites are very boring. They're, they're very dull corporate websites, but that masks you know what they do, and and uh, they are doing. You know, the thing they don't admit to are violating laws like, right. like our characters clearly do. Yeah. And yet some of them will admit, well, OK, we won't phone tap in the UK because it's illegal, but we can go to France or we can go to the Ukraine. And it's just as easy to phone tap 
British phone there as it is, and it's not breaking any law if you go over there. Okay. So they have ways, and they're multinational. I mean, that's the thing. Borders are, are just, you know, imaginary for them because they can cross them and, and, and find ways around any law that gets in their way. And with Hunted, you haven't made it easy on yourself. You're taking on a genre that's been done so many times, and it must be really hard to come up with fresh stuff. Yeah. So do you constantly come up with a, a thing and go, damn it, they did that already, and, and such and such? Yeah, and, and then I go, well, but how can we do this differently, or how can we twist this, or how can we... And, um, and yeah, and I, and I try to answer that question every time out. And, you know, I always say you, you have to aim so high, so high, because you're, you're not going to get there. You know, you, you, you aim for the stars, and then maybe you'll end up, you know, somewhere in the lower atmosphere. You know, <laughs> that's, that's just the nature of it. But if you don't aim that high, you'll never, you'll never even get that high. Sure. Had you seen Spooks, which is obviously, again, from the same production company? Sure. And a yeah. massive success over yes. here. I yes. mean, it was one of those ones that people would running home to watch. And yes. Is it something that you'd, you'd kind of gend up on? And Well, I, I actually, I, 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 I was partnering with the people that did Spooks, kudos, and I didn't want Hunted to be anything like Spooks, to be compared with Spooks in any way, and mm. as luck would have it, Spooks came to an end, and then Hunted was promoted as from the makers of Spooks, <laughs> to me was sort of the worst of all possible worlds, because um, you can't compete with that. You know, people, that was a great show, and people love it, and they, they don't want um, their affections um, uh, interfered with by, by a, a newcomer, a pretender to the throne, so... Um, I look at Hunted as just a completely different animal um, from Spooks or Homeland, from that matter. Before we let you go, I have to ask, as a huge X-Files fan, you mentioned the third movie obliquely. Can you give us any clue about what might evolve? Because I kind of had this fantasy when I was watching the X-Files that it would all finish with them raiding the, the Pentagon, the room in the Pentagon with all the stuff in it. And I think every, every fan has got some kind of image in their head of what, yes. it, what might be the kind of final thing. Well, the strands are all there. Mm. So... I can't. I can't tell you what's in it, but but I can tell you that if you know the X Files, you probably have a pretty good guess, um, at least what the the plot elements are. You know, the, it's not something completely out of, you know, it's not some new thing we've made up that didn't exist all along. But you know, the, to me, the opportunity of um, of saying something because the X Files had a lot to say. And, and I, that, that's exciting to me is, is, is making the final statement that we'd like to say about all the ideas that were in that series and of bringing these two characters um, to a close in the context of this story, which was the central story of the, of the TV series, um, would be really exciting. Well, I really hope it happens. Oh, I Thank you. I think everyone wants to see it. So, Can you bring Crycheck back, please? <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Why not? And cigarettes making that. Oh, them. Sure, they never um, before we finally wrap up, any chance of uh, a release date on Blu-ray for the X-Files? I know there's a lot of work involved in that. but You know, I was on that for years. I was asking, and they kept telling me that um, because the, the visual effects were done in standard definition video, that it was a huge problem. And then some fan informed me, well, no, now they have a technology that can upgrade the, the resolution of these standard visual effects. And then I've just been hearing rumors that, in fact, uh, it's in the works. But I haven't called the studio to confirm those rumors, but I, I wouldn't oh. be surprised. Will you let us know if you find out? Yeah, sure. Frank, the, tr the truth is out there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to end yeah. up. Yeah. Frank, thank you so much for coming in and talking pleasure. to us. Thank it's you. been a great yeah, pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, and let's bring this shoddy affair to a close with the discussion of the week's movie releases, so you can make your mind up when you're mulling over what to see of the weekend. And it's a decent week.
I would say. Let's start with mm-hmm. two films that are already out. They came out on Wednesday, part of a growing trend in this country, I presume, is designed to capitalise on Orange Wednesdays. Uh, it's a romantic dramedy. That's something of an Oscar contender, Silver Linings Playbook, starring Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence as a very mismatched couple. So, what do we think of this one? Helena. Um, this is actually pretty darn good, I thought. Um, the the pair of them... So basically, he's recently been released from a um, mental hospital where he was uh, sort of sent after committing assault. And uh, he's trying to put his life back together and in particular win back his wife. Um, Jennifer Lawrence plays a young widow who is basically dealt with her grief by sleeping with everyone in her office, <laughs> um, which resulted in her getting fired. So she's got her own set of problems to deal with, I think it's fair to say. And the pair of them strike up this kind of weird, unlikely friendship based around um, ballroom dancing. Well, he agrees to help her with her ballroom dancing if she will pass a letter to his wife who he's not allowed to go near because of a restraining order. So, you know, it's a it's a slightly unusual kind of setup. You've also got Robert De Niro and Jackie Weaver, who was Oscar nominated a couple of years ago, yeah. as his parents. Um, so there's a kind of relationship there as well. And, and just the whole crowd of people around them. Um, Chris Tucker, in his first ru- non-rush hour film in years... Mm. Um, plays uh, his friend from from the hospital who who keeps you know coming along to join him. So you know it's it's kind of it's an unlikely film, but because it's a David O. Russell film, all this weirdness kind of seems to coalesce into something strangely realistic. At the end of the day, fantastic. And De Niro's back on form, I hear him. Yeah, he is. I mean, quite often I think when he goes comic, he goes over the top comic, and I think he just walks the line perfectly here between his kind of comic and dramatic mm. roles that he's had, obviously, in recent years. Um, so he's he's really, really good in this. Um, and Lawrence, in particular, I thought was terrific. It's mm. a really interesting character for her to be playing. I think on the page and in the book it's based on she was a much older character, but it kind of works having her younger um, because it's just less obvious because she's, she's got this kind of quite cynical and quite touchy, kind of spiky side, and it, that feels fresher and more original in a young character than it would if she was in her, you know, late 30s or whatever. And this has been tipped for Oscars. Um, we gave it three stars. Yeah, I, I personally would probably go a little bit higher than that. But mm-hmm. yeah, a three star is still a recommendation. Still a recommendation, sure. as we mm-hmm. say every week. <laughs> it, a tough one for David O. Russell to, to get the balance between the gravitas of, of a film about mental illness and the comedy. And I think he does a really good job with it, to mm. be honest. It's interesting that, you know, you've got Claire Danes portraying a bipolar character in Homeland at the moment, and here is Bradley Cooper doing similar. Mm. He uses the camera to e- exaggerate and ex- sort of accentuate the mental kind of freneticism of, of this character, especially in the first half of the film. He's all over, like, it doesn't stop moving. People talk over each other. It's very hectic mm. to watch, and I think that kind of plays into into the character. There's a lot of jogging as well, um, Bradley Cooper's character. But I agree, Jennifer Lawrence is MVP of this. She's phenomenal. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, okay, next up is Gambit, a throwback of a farce starring Colin Firth. Sorry, Lord... Sir Colin Firth <laughs> as an art creator who mounts a heist with Cameron Diaz as feisty Texan there's a sentence I never thought I'd say all in an attempt to get one over on his domineering and frequently stark bollocks naked boss Alan Rickman so thoughts on this one Phil yes speak of getting the balance this one doesn't really do that the balance between comedy and the sort of thriller elements I suppose of Colin Firth being this art critic turned kind of forger turned heistman bringing in Cameron Diaz's uh, Texan rodeo girl gal to to try and rip off his boss. Um, 
I, these films are so hard to do. These caper, these caper comedies. There are so few good ones. I love dirty ones, scoundrels. Yeah. I'm not even a particularly big fan of Sh- of charade or charade, depending on where you stand on pronunciation. Where do you stand on the truth about Charlie? <laughs> oh, oh, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> on its you know, head. But, but when they're bad, they're really terrible. If you look at a film like The Tourist, it tries to do yeah. it as well. It, it, to, to be that light and frothy is really difficult. It takes hard work. I'm not sure Michael Hoffman is potentially the right man. This is the man who's who made The Last Station, which was very very good. A film about Tolstoy, but quite serious. This, I don't know. I mean, there's it, it's from a Coen Brothers script, but I don't yeah. think there's any resemblance to potentially what they first submitted all those years ago in this final product. I think it's been the the rough edges. It doesn't feel in any way Coensy. I'm, I'm, I get the feeling if it didn't bear any resemblance to a script, their names wouldn't be on it. Well, I look, don't get me wrong. There's some resemblance, but I think the things that make it a Coen Coen Brothers film or script aren't really there particularly. There's fart gags. You wouldn't necessarily expect that from the people that made Fargo. Lady Killers. Intolerable cruelty. <laughs> yeah, it does have an intolerable cruelty uh, feel about it. Intolerable cruelty, I, I would argue, was a, a recent farce that did work in, the, in this weird, demented second half. I still love it. Comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I like it as well. Yeah, I just I don't think this one does. I okay. really don't. So that's a two-star film. The posters are pretty irritating, has to be said. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there are funny bits in this. I just don't think it quite sustains the energy level needed. Um, but there are, I mean, there are funny moments, and obviously, you know, it's it's Colin Firth and Alan Rickman, so there's there's always going to be how is good Alan Rickman? Because that that would be the reason I would watch. Um, this. He's he's not quite snarly enough. You kind of want him to be. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham levels of snarl and snark in this and I don't think he quite reaches those levels um, but he's he's got some very funny moments I think Stanley Tucci kind of runs away with it he does as uh, is often the case and is it true that we see Alan Rickman's hands groupers <laughs> his detonators no hang on can I <laughs> his, his Nakatomi plazas <laughs> um, he is naked but it's tasteful nudity Chris. die hard um no <laughs> Two stars for Gambit, and uh, now on to the movies that are out today. <laughs> you all right? If you're listening to this on Friday, of course, we're going to kick off with Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger, which is a sequel to Nativity. Again, this is an entirely improvised Christmas comedy in which David Tennant's beleaguered primary school teacher is basically kidnapped and forced to enter a singing competition, a bit like the X Factor, but with kids. <laughs> uh, so what are our thoughts on this one? Because this sounds great. Well, I mean, I, I actually quite enjoy the first one. You know, it's a it's a three-star film. It's very likeable. You know, it's the kind of thing where the whole family can sit around and watch it, you know, in a, in a kind of mince pie stupor on Christmas Eve. Um, this one is a little bit disappointing. I think one of the joys of the first film is that there's loads of time given over to these kids just being manic and, and kind of scene-stealing and just coming up with crazy stuff and then doing it. And, and the kids get almost no look in here because there's a lot of other plot going on. So Mr. Poppy, who was the classroom assistant, uh, you'll remember from the first one, uh, he basically kidnaps David Tennant's teacher and drags him to this uh, song con- competition. And of course, everything goes wrong on their journey and they end up hiking across Wales with 20 t- tiny children um, and a kidnapped baby. Plus, there's the, whole, there's the whole fact that David Tennant's wife is about to give birth. Plus, no. David Tennant's twin brother, also played by David Tennant, uh, leads one of the other schools, which is heavily favoured to win. You've got Jessica Hines as um, the sort of the, the talent show host who's kind of got some scene-stealing bits. You know, you've got just so much going on and and you kind of don't need about 90% of that plot. You just want, you know, kids messing around at Christmas time. Okay, and um, I'm guessing this isn't that successful. We've given the two stars. We've given it two stars. It's You know, there are likeable moments in it. Everybody in it is likeable. It's just, it doesn't itself actually take off at any point really it's a shame isn't it David Tennant hasn't really found that vehicle that he was maybe looking for or maybe he deserves after leaving Doctor Who he does deserve it I mean Doctor Who's fantastic I've seen him on stage in Hamlet and that was terrific you mm. know we've, we we need to get this man a, a proper 
job. We do indeed. Uh, two stars for that. And last but not least, we have End of Watch, a visceral cop movie which follows Michael Peña and Jake Gyllenhaal's LA beat cops as they go about their jobs and get involved with a deadly Mexican drugs cartel. Thoughts on this one, Nicholas? Yeah, well, not to rag on another film, but uh, Rampart, which is another LA cop drama that came out not too long ago, which was uh, written by James Elroy, who's a writes about LA crime like nobody else. I was really looking forward to that, and that, for me, didn't work. This is the film that I was hoping that would be. Hmm. This is a fantastic, um, really kind of gritty and violent and realistic to a point <laughs> we'll get on to that in a yes minute. yes but um this is this is a fantastic film like really exciting um shot really excitingly i think there's a lot of handheld mm. you know inventive camera work the device by which every character in this film seems to have a, a camcorder doesn't quite work i get past that very very quickly I got I you know I, I accepted it it was like okay he's establishing David Ayer the, the writer director is establishing an, an aesthetic whereby those shots make sense but he can but he's they, basically there's an invisible camera for yeah. everybody and that's fine it was it was kind of fine until the bad guys also have cameras and you're like you know these guys so we live uh, in the these world. guys are very busy being criminals why have they got camcorders <laughs> what are they doing you never see anyone with a camcorder we live in the YouTube world. Mm. I don't hang out with South Central gangs. I'll be, I'll be honest. We, they could be I'm all pretty sure they haven't all got a camcorder. It's not. They're not using phones. But anyway, it's it's exciting. Um, the bad guys are really horrible. Mm-hmm. It's they're, brilliantly they're, acted. And really, yeah, the, the main selling point for this film is the relation, the rapport between Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal. And uh, they did a long training period before they made this film, and you can tell because they carry off their roles brilliantly. They have they have a fantastic. Rep, you know, report between them. Yeah, these are these are guys I could just spend all day riding in a black and white with around LA, and they're just uh, wonderful characters. It dovetail perfectly together, and probably for my money, the best cop duo for a, for a long, long time on screen. You you would not get tired of hearing these guys just bust each other's balls, and and then when it gets when it when things get tense for them later on, because you care so much about them by that point, it really does hit home. So I, I think it's fantastic. It's actually I saw it this week. It gate crashed my top ten of the year. I have to say. And it's made me hugely excited about David Ayer's next film, Ten. Yeah. Um, that picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger that came out a few weeks ago with him with tattoos. and st- it, I cannot wait. If it's if it's got the same kind of mood as this film, I can't wait to see an Arnie movie like that. Absolutely. Four stars for End of Watch. Cannot recommend it enough. Do go and see it. And that is it for this week's uh, Empire Podcast. The End of Watch Jamboree will continue next week when we'll be joined in the pod booth by none other than Jake Gyllenhaal himself. And we're hugely looking forward to that one. I know Helen is especially. Steady. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also invite the brilliant Ben Wheatley, director of Kill List and the wonderful Sightseers, which is out next week. He's coming in for a chat and we'll hopefully live to tell the tale. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. Phil. Goodbye. Goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. And myself, and it pains me to say this, but we have a very sad farewell that nobody at Empire wanted to make. Um, Pav Basra was many things. He was Empire's developer from 2005 to 2009. He was an absolute demon on Call of Duty. He was a world-class Mickey taker, a web design genius, and hugely warm and funny. Most of all, though, he was our friend. Um, Pav passed away this week following a short battle with cancer. He was just 35 years old. He's survived by his parents, his sister and his girlfriend, and we will all miss him. Needless to say, this podcast is dedicated to him. Rest in peace, Pap.